0: Hi, I'm and
1: Senn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horse.
2: Do you enjoy listening to Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the podcast? Have you picked up our book yet? Twin Peaks Unwrapped, the book. That has over 100 cast and crew who have contributed to this book. And it's, I think people really love it. I mean, we also have community commentary where a lot of the community have participated in this. It's just a great book. We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com.
0: Hi, I'm Harley Payton, and you're listening
2: to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. What do you think about playing Lynch? I, I saw a couple pictures, I don't even know what that's in reference to. Social media thing that they're doing where they have mm-hmm. all these like mini websites, it'll be on the double R, it'll Eraserhead, and then you have John, John Malkovich. Malkovich, who's dressing up as different characters in the Lynch world where
3: he dressed- Really? It, it started yeah. I haven't
1: heard anything about any of this. Thing. Oh <laughs> my <laughs>
3: god, you gotta go online.
2: Welcome to Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is
3: Brian Kazoska. And uh, today's show is jam packed with jam-packed. awesomeness. <laughs> On the show, we've got Sandro Miller, Harley Payton, Harley Payton talking about some really cool things.
2: And for our guest of the week, we have Sandreo Miller. He is a photographer for over 40 years and a director, and he has directed and produced the film Psychogenetic Fuge, which you can get at playinglynch.com. The world is as you want. You at? I wake up and I go to playing uh, and you have your film here.
1: Psychogenic fury
2: Huge, yeah. yeah, and wow, I, I, I'm so excited. It's it's so good. It's like a love letter to uh, Lynch fans.
1: <laughs> well, cool. You know, I, I love to hear the excitement, Ben, and I know he has, you know. Such an incredible, incredible huge fan base, and they're all been just kind of on pins and needles to find out what's happening. As you know, David gave a little bit of a tweet last week, just kind of just wetting the appetite, you know, of his fans, and then it's going to go crazy viral this week mm. with uh, just little bits and pieces of our film each day being released, just to uh, you know, just to get people really excited about what's going on here.
2: Can you tell me how did you get involved with this project?
1: I, I got involved with with the Lynch Foundation. Don't know if you know. My work with John Malkovich, homage hmm. to the Masters. Yeah, are, are you familiar with that? Yeah. A little, I've only from well, yeah. this week. Oh, okay. Well, what you should do is, if you have a chance, Google it. Okay. Yep. Um, just Google Google Sandro and Malkovich, and you're gonna see that what I did was I recreated 41. Of the most iconic images, portraits over the last hundred years, starting back from 1905 with Edward Curtis, ending with some current-day Annie Leibovitz, uh, Albert Watson portraits, and they're the most iconic portraits. It's almost a history of portraiture, but I recreated them down to the finest, finest detail, and they almost look identical, but I used John Malkovich as the subject. You know, he became Hemingway, he became Igor Stravinsky, he became Che Guevara. Well, uh, this project went crazy viral. It's been traveling the world as an exhibition for the last three years and has just been a huge, huge, huge success. David had caught a glimpse of this work and we had heard about it, so we went to him to his camp, not to actually to David, and see if there's anything that we could do with with them. Mm. And we went and saw Eric Martin of the foundation, and Eric said, "You know what? I know that David absolutely loves this work. Let's see what we can do." And at that time, they were just in talk with collaborations with Squarespace,
4: mm. and,
1: and Squarespace is just you know an awesome company that support artists and and ideas, and that's the way they they they're advertising today. You know, they're not getting you straight over the head with, hey, you know, Squarespace makes great, great websites. What they're doing, they're doing these interest art projects. They're funding these interesting art projects and their name is attached to it. So hmm. they they were so generous in, you know, accepting the idea of, of us, you know, working together. And then we came up with this idea of, of you know, of, of course it all had to do with, it had to do with recreations because hmm. that's what kind of my specialty is. And we, so we recreated eight uh, David Lynch characters for this film, Psychogenic Fuge.
3: Damn good coffee. And hot. John
2: Malkovich did an amazing job. You've been collaborating with him for almost nearly uh, 20 years. It's an amazing uh, work that you guys have done together.
1: Well, you know, John is, he's first and foremost, he's a dear, dear, dear friend of mine. And uh, of course, he he has been my muse, and he he accepts that. He knows... He knows that he has been my muse for the last 20 years. And we have created some just unbelievable things together. In fact, 2011, I won Best New Director in the short film category at Cannes for a short film I did with John called butterflies, hmm. and that kind of catapulted me into the video world, into the motion world. But yeah, John has just been just an, an unbelievable, wonderful, beautiful person, the genius to collaborate with. You know, as, as a director, photographer, I, I can't ask for anybody that's more special than John, who just shows up to any production that we do and just gives and gives and gives and is so kind to work with and so generous with his time and so giving. He's a, be- he's a beautiful, beautiful beautiful. beautiful soul and so together we've been able to create some really really iconic historical work together Mm -hmm. and I believe it's going to continue until one of us is no longer here
4: hello I'm Henry
2: I'm a printer I'm very pleased to meet you you've said before that um he's never said no to you you've
1: given you've, you've thrown out things to him and he just goes with it you know John John has played you know he's played little girls. Mm. He's uh, he's got naked. You know we've done nudes.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, he's played he's played kings. He's played the devil. He's played Hitler. He has done things that are just absolutely outrageous. That really I would imagine a lot of actors' PR agent wouldn't allow them to do. But John walks into the studio and never has people handlers. You know he comes by himself mm. and he comes he comes he's this amazing beautiful white canvas and says, paint on me. You know, do, What are we doing today, Sandro? You know, John, Nick, describes it as, as when he comes to my studio, we're doing little plays together. And it's, I think that's such a great analogy mm. because that's exactly what we're doing. We're always acting out. Yeah. We're acting out something, you know? And my studio or my... my my set becomes his stage and you'll watch John transform himself into these characters and it'll just just absolutely blow your mind. You mm. know, when, when we watch him, you know, we got 40, 50 people in the studio working on anything and we're all sitting back watching him and he's brought us to, to unbelievable laughter, unbelievable awe. Mm. We brought us to tears. You know, I, I think when you see this film, the last part when uh, he plays David Lynch's elephant man mm. reciting you know, the, the, sh- the Lord Shepherd, it's so touching. It's so touching. I remember as I, I was directing that and looked around the studio, everybody's crying. Mm. It was so beautiful, so beautiful. The Lord is my shepherd. I
0: shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters.
2: I watched that and I almost felt like I was watching the film. I mean, like even like I couldn't believe, I mean, every one of these I couldn't believe the makeup, but on the makeup on the elephant man, wow. I mean, if if you had, if I I thought it was almost the film. It was that good. I mean,
1: yeah. Well, thank you. As you see, even in post-production, you know, we, we viewed the film. I, I You know, I go back, research, find out, you know, almost what cameras David was using, what kind of film he was shooting. So we tried to recreate even that same feel to it mm. and put that same grain structure inside of that film. Wow. Our set builder, you know, David Krauss was absolutely off the charts amazing for detail. I mean, we recreated that, that bedroom for Elephant Man, you know, down to the finest, finest detail. Prosthetics, I, what can I say? Mm. The guy was just, just amazing. And this is all Chicago crew. Wow. I, I need to put that out. This is all Chicago crew. This, I mean, we didn't bring anybody in from L.A., nobody in from New York. So mm. proud of them. They did a wonderful job. Did. Amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Ben.
2: We've met before, haven't we? At your house, don't you remember? I've already been very impressed with your motion work like Hell that is just like in awe. The um the visual and the, the motion and the feeling and the lighting is just amazing. And then to see your work that you've done for this film, I, I wanted to weep. It was just so incredible what you, you what you and John Malkovich have accomplished. Well
1: thank you, Ben. I, I truly, truly appreciate that. You know, Hell is starting to to get out there, and, you know, we're going to get it into the film fest. You know, it has a very deep message, you know, mm. problems all over the world, and especially in the United States, about, the, you know, these young black boys getting killed, mm. you know, so many times for so, no reason at all. It's true. And uh, if you look at that very last scene in, in Hell, that's where Queen McDonald, from here in Chicago, who was walking away from police, walking away from them, mm. and they put 16 bullets into him, mm. you know, and... The whole thing is about Plato's message, which was written in 390 B.C. Still is so relevant, so relevant today. I mean, it's almost as if it was written yesterday for us.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, it, and that's the message there. Is it's just things haven't changed. And when are things going to change? Mm. You know, when is the, when is this needless killing, this needless hatred, this needless racism, when is it all going to stop? When are people going to get out of the shadows and
2: yeah. come
1: into the light and really see that we are all really, truly the same and we should all be loving each other?
2: Definitely. Oh, it's so true.
1: And now we settle.
2: Here is an
4: allegory to visualize the scope in which our nature may be illuminated
1: or be clouded. Envision the state of men inhabiting a kind of cavernous subterranean chamber whose entrance is exposed to the light and is preceded by a long
4: passageway down into a cave.
2: So you mentioned these eight characters, the Lynch characters, I think it was David Lynch, Henry from Eraserhead, Mystery Man from Lost Highway, Elephant Man, Frank Booth, Blue Velvet, Logley, Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks.
1: You know, when we got the go-ahead, you know, to do this here, the Lynch people did a Social media research to find out who his most beloved characters were, mm-hmm. and they were they were the seven characters. And we know that I, that I needed I needed to be able to recreate David Lynch because David Lynch was the glue, mm. you know, in in the story. He was the one who was going to have these special messages for us that would deliver them that would lead us into the next character so i know i needed seven characters plus david lynch you know we would have really liked to have done ten but you know budget Mm. becomes an, an issue time becomes an issue and so we settled on seven of david's greatest greatest characters and as soon as I got to go ahead and, I, and we knew the list, you know, then I have to go into an intensive, intensive research. I have to re-watch all the films, stop the films, look at details. Mm. Really, you know, I sit down with my team, my hair and makeup people, my prosthetic people, my set people, and we just take a look at these sets and we, we totally dissect them. You know, we're, we're looking at every single little detail because we're trying as best we can to honor David Lynch. You know, this is all about honoring David mm. Lynch and his genius and We want to pay, and and I want to pay total respect to him, you know, and to pay respect to him, and to pay great, great homage, you must recreate it to David's liking. You know, I had to recreate something that was in David's mind, Mm. and it's a challenge. You know, it's a huge challenge. You take on somebody so great like David, and you're asked to, to take on this task of recreating David Lynch. That's a big, big, big undertaking yeah. because you want to pay complete, complete respect. You don't want to cheapen him. You want to honor him. So it's it's a tremendous amount of work. It's a tremendous amount of pressure and stress to deliver. You know, on this project. And uh, you know, we got the call from David, and David just said he was just absolutely out of his mind. He loved it. He let me go with my director's cut. No changes made, wow. which I honor him for that. You recall David got burned in Dune, right? When he let that film go, he let the big studios get involved, changed his film, changed his vision, and it did. And it was no longer his film. And David respected my eye, my vision, my view so much that he let me run with the director's cut with absolutely no changes to it. And I have to just say I, I honor him so That's much. That's wonderful.
2: That. that is something.
1: Yeah. Ideas are like fish. If you want to catch a little fish, you can stay in the shallow water.
2: how long does something like this take? I mean, like how long have you guys been working on this project?
1: Well, you know, we approached my, my, my partner, Eric Alex who who does the music for me. He's just an, an, an amazing musician, an amazing creative mind. We approached Lynch well over a year, a year and a half ago. And what we did is we tried to find the absolute perfect time for this for us to create the film and use it to benefit David Lynch's foundation. Mm. Whether it was going to be David's 70th birthday or the launch of a, a, a new album that he had put out and finally, we came to it that this festival of destruction was going to be absolutely the the premier time to launch this film. So once we knew when we were going to, to launch it, you know, we, we were able to get busy on the film. We were able to get funding from Squarespace, who was again just amazing supporters of this of this film of this production of this collaboration. And so you know, it takes time. You know, it's like any film, even even if it's a short, Ben, even if it's a 15 minute short, mm. and you're working with a pretty decent budget, it still takes time to organize. It's not something that all of a sudden you get to go ahead Mm. and one week later you're in production. I mean, just, again, all the research, the set building, Mm. uh, putting together the right team, the prosthetics. I mean, all of that stuff took tremendous amounts of time. To yeah. so really, really, really nail down, and again, it was just out of respect for David of, of really wanting to absolutely pay complete homage and honor to the guy and do it right.
2: Yeah, wow, it's something else. You had mentioned the Festival of Disruption. Uh, John Malkovich's website says he's going to be there. Can you can you give me any detail about that? Will you be there or uh, like? That's oh yeah,
1: well, I'll, I'll be there. That's October seventh, eighth, and ninth in LA. David's big, big, big. Uh, foundation, and, and, and people can go to David, David's website, they could actually download this film.
2: Yeah, playinglynch.com. Uh,
1: right, for, for, for a, a small donation towards uh, his Transcendental Meditation Foundation. Uh, so we're going to be out there, we're going to be on a panel speaking with David, and we're going to to a huge crowd after we launch the film. But John and I will be at, uh, at Ron Robinson in Santa Monica on October 7th at 1 p.m., for a book signing. So huh. if any of your fans would like to come out and meet John, take a look. We, we have my, my new book. It's called The Melkovich Sessions, which is about 166 images hmm. that we created, you know, published by Glitterati. And we'll be doing a book signing. John will be there. We'll also have uh, Eric Alexandrakis will be there with our album that we created with John. So, you know, John recites uh, Allegory of a Cave and we have all these amazing musicians wow. on, on this album that John is, is doing spoken word. And so that's just uh, another piece of art that we've all created together.
2: It's something else, yeah. You guys have done an amazing job in your collaborations over the years, and I, I, I was looking at that book. I don't own it yet, but I'm, I'm very intrigued to get it. I'm amazed by your work and, and John's work.
1: Well, thank you so much, Ben. It's been just, uh, it's been a great, great, great 20-year ride with John, and hopefully it'll be between the two of us another 20 to go.
4: Remember, everything is fine.
2: But you're, you're such an artist I mean I'm, I'm amazed by your photography, but you're also an amazing um, director and, and how you've put this all together this film I mean the, the lighting and the you know the framing of it and just the style and, and the transitions' is just it's just really is amazing. I was so giddy I woke up I downloaded it and I was like so excited and I I can't, I can't, I can't uh, say enough that people everybody should be downloading this at, at, at playinglynch.com. Uh.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ben. You know, I've I've been a, you know, a uh, an award-winning uh, photographer for nearly 40 years. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I think that that the eye that a great still photographer brings to directing motion, truly, you know, w- we understand composition, we understand uh, detail and and moments caught. You know, um, through my years of directing stills, you know, portraiture. I know how to get to you know into people's hearts, into mm. their souls. I know how to draw something out of them. So it's really been a huge benefit to have been a you know a, a great portrait photographer for so many years, and being able to transfer those skills now over into motion has truly, truly helped me in, in, in my motion world.
4: Hello again.
1: My
2: log has something to tell you. Can you hear it? I will translate.
1: I have I have an exhibition um, right now. It's I'm leaving for Siberia uh, in two weeks. Uh, there's an opening of the Melkovich Melkovich Melkovich, and then mm-hmm. there's another opening of uh, homage to the masters with Melkovich 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 in Spain, Malagda in in October. So I have two openings in October. Then the show will move to uh, China and then Croatia the beginning of 2017. It's been an ongoing traveling exhibition we've we've hit probably about 15 uh cities worldwide and we our schedule goes out for at least another year and a half with the exhibition so it's been really really a uh very successful exhibition and mm. you know we're hoping that it continues and, and, and many people get to see the work that we've, rec- that we've created.
2: Well it really is something and is there any other projects that you'd like to share with us that you're you're working on?
1: Well I'm you know I'm always working on so many different projects Ben. You know my latest projects I've been going back and forth to uh, Papua New Guinea. I've been working with the indigenous tribes there mm. uh, you know I, I, I bring a, a studio, a makeshift studio so wherever I go in Papua New Guinea shooting these tribes, I I, you know, we we, we put up a studio and we shoot these very beautiful lit portraits of these tribes that are, you know, slowly, slowly going away. You know, the western, Mm -hmm. uh, westernization is taking over, and uh, they're losing a, a lot of their rituals, what they wore to celebrate, what they wore to war
4: hmm. is, is,
1: you know, being taken over by Western uh, clothing. And so it's, I just think it's a very, very, very important for me to document,
4: hmm. you know,
1: what is, what is there. There's over 860 tribes in Papua New Guinea. Wow! And by the end of next year, I should have close to 400 of these tribes uh, photographed. So it's, it's a project of love. And just wanting to continue for future people to learn about these tribes and, and see what they once were, and it's really been a great, great project. Yeah. Well,
2: no, I, I imagine you're ph- photographing them. Will you also be filming, video, re- recording them as well? Or?
1: Well, we have done some video. We, mm. um, our last trip, we did. We did a, you know, we did. A, I actually did a. Uh, it was an educational film on how to do a project like this here. Hmm. with uh, R- RGU and, and, you know, actually people, they could download the tutorial. I think it's like a 20-hour tutorial yeah. uh, on how to do a project, what it takes to do a project like this here. And I had a whole film crew with me uh, documenting my, uh, my shooting in Papua New Guinea and I
2: think there's probably an intro on on YouTube and I can uh, I can put that in our show notes about that
1: absolutely it's RGU and if you can't find it Ben you let me know and and we'll make sure we send you something okay well yeah it's a great tutorial and people have been responding to it you know hundreds of people you know know, photography is is like you know it's such a huge you know people all over the world now have taken a photography because of the digital world and mm -hmm. so many people want to know how how do I do this how do I do this and these tutorials that are being put out there today are so wonderful for mm-hmm. uh, you know our young photographers to learn from. You know not everybody can can afford a twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar education mm. at at a photography school. And these tutorials are so well done. And they can learn so much from them. So I just think it's really great for people to have this opportunity to, to really, really learn from these tutorials.
2: And the, and it's coming from you, who's had forty years' experience in this in, in, in industry doing this stuff. I mean, that's a, that's wonderful that you are offering this.
1: Well, you know, Ben, for me, you know, you get a point in in your life in your career, and I, you know, it becomes the most important thing is to give back mm. and to really share your knowledge. You know. I have always had this open door policy in my studio where I've let young photographers come, you know, watch sessions with me, sit down, show their portfolios. But it's been something that I've, I've always felt very, very strong about is giving back my knowledge them and you know it it's it all comes back you know a lot of these kids end up working for me or they go out into the world into who knows maybe it's a different avenue than than photography they go into the advertising uh business and then you know they remember you know coming to my studio and working with me and seeing what mm. i was doing and, and it's just it's a it's a circle of love
4: mm. that just
1: happens you know and everybody you know everybody it's a win-win situation for everybody when you do things like that
2: yeah Well, thank you for giving us your time today. I mean, I'm still so amazed. I'm still taking it all in, uh, having gotten to see it once today, uh, the new film there on playinglynch.com, Psychogenic Fuge. It really is something. Thank you so much for
1: your time. Ben, thank you so much for putting the, the call out. I really appreciate it. Don't be a good neighbor to her. I'll send you a love letter.
2: And now, time for a bonus guest of the week. Harley, on October 11th, you've got a new show on Sci-Fi called the Channel Zero, and uh, yes. can, you, can you share some about that? You're the you're the co-executive yeah. producer and writer. Yeah, sure. It's
0: I mean, it's a it's, I, it's a really sort of fascinating idea and something that I was really happy to do. Um, Channel Zero is a is a horror anthology, and what Sci-Fi is planning to do is to tell six episode stories, and I think they'll then, at the moment, the plan is to play that six episode story um, every year around Halloween. Hmm. So that you know this what we did in the last year was we broke the stories and wrote the stories for the first two seasons, um each one going six and and both of them coming directly from what's called the creepy pasta website, right so it's hmm. you know hmm. they've optioned they've optioned they optioned what were like in some cases one paragraph two paragraph stories, sometimes longer, and then we took those stories and kind of made them our own and figured out a way to tell the story and and so the first one's coming up um Called Candle Cove. It's coming up,
3: as you said, just in a few weeks. Cool. That's awesome.
2: And it's interesting. This Creeper Pasta is kind of like internet campfire stories. That's cool. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's
0: where the Slender Man stuff came from. Wow. And and so and so someone had the idea, and i to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know who to kind of go to them and just start reading them and look for what might be the basis for. A sort of great horror story that you could tell in about six hours, which is what we're doing, and then we had a you know those kind of a lean and mean writing staff. But the showrunner is a guy named Nick Antosca, mm. and Nick's tremendous. He's worked on a bunch of television shows that just come off of Hannibal. And actually, one of my favorite people in that room was Don Mancini, who created Child's Play and, of course, mm. has directed every Chucky e. movie since. Um, wow. So there was a a lot of really interesting people in that room, although it wasn't a a big room. But, you know, we loved working together and it was a lot of fun to kind of break these stories and and put them together. And the first one, the second one, actually, the second six just went into production a couple of days ago.
2: Wow. Yeah, you were greenlighted for a second season already. I mean, that's impressive that it hasn't even aired yet and you're already uh, greenlighted for season two.
0: Yeah, I think I think for them, I mean, I think just
2: in terms of the business
0: model, it it would make a lot of sense to only to shoot six shooting 12 made more sense, because it's more or less continuous production. Mm. And so that allowed us to that allowed us to do really two seasons in one go. Uh, The real question, of course, will be if they want to do a third season. Mm. Um, But you know, that would be that would be, you know, two years from now. So it's, I'm not sure exactly how they'll do it going forward. Um, maybe they'll bring us all back to do another 12 in the spring, hmm. or maybe they'll kind of wait and, and do it with a different group of people. I mean, you could sort of curate it any way you wanted to. I think what they'd like to do at sci-fi is just establish this sort of yearly event where they're going to have a six-episode horror story um, that's told every year, as I said, around Thanksgiving. Yeah. I mean, well, around Halloween. No, well, it was cool. It's really
2: fun. And, and Brian and I were watching the trailers, and they are so creepy. Yeah, the tooth Child and everything.
0: <laughs> yeah, and yeah, the tooth child, the tooth child is pretty rough. It was interesting. <laughs> I mean, the nice thing about it is that um, the budgets are not huge. And so the, there a certain sort of low budget horror aesthetic that we were able to bring to it. Mm. It also gave us a certain amount of creative freedom, which I think is a, which, which is a big help. And so we, you know, we could take certain risks and certain chances. And that was sort of part of the deal. It's like, okay, you're going to make this for a lower budget. So we'll, we're willing to kind of take some risks along the way as well hmm. and kind of work with you. And, you know, Universal and sci-fi have been great that way. And, um, and you know, we'll, we'll see how it works from there. But, um, yeah, it's been a lot of fun.
2: Cool. And yeah. is this show serialized? I mean, is it conti- – is its own – like, is each story – can you watch it out of order or do, do you need to watch it in a certain order?
0: Or? No, it's – yeah, each story is it's serialized. Like the, the one, the first one that we're doing that, that's airing in just a few weeks, you know, it's a six-hour story from you know beginning middle and end mm. and and that and that's all you're that's what you'll have and then and then a year in 2017 they they'll they'll be airing the one that we're shooting now but it's a completely different story having oh. nothing to do different direct, different director different cast mm. um and at the moment what we're doing which is also I think really interesting is you have one director who shoots the entire 6 hours so right. we crossboard it and he and he shoots it or he or she shoots it like a 6-hour movie um, the, a guy named Craig McNeil did the first six, and he did a wonderful job. He he had directed an indie movie called The Boy, you know. And again, we were allowed to do that, you know, to hire someone with you know an independent film director who has a certain aesthetic and will bring things to it that you might not get otherwise. And and I think that I mean that's the theory. So we'll see how it all plays out. But it, but it was very exciting to have those be your kind of goals. And as a writer, it's nice to be on a project where you know there's a certain amount of creative ambition. Um, and there was certainly a lot in this.
2: Yeah. And did you write the third and the and the last uh, episode six? Were those the ones you wrote? I'm trying to think, the ones I wrote? I wrote. I definitely wrote the third one. Don wrote the second one, and then I think
0: I co-wrote actually the last one um, with actually I think Nick and Don maybe. Mm-hmm. So the three of us kind of. It's actually the way like Mark and Bob Ingalls and I used to do things. So we ended up as we got deeper into production you know, discovered that co-writing would make things move more quickly for us, so because when you're, you're cross-boarding, all six episodes have to be done, mm. you know, before mm. production starts, so we had to kind of beat the clock on in, in that way, although I think we had sufficient time to get it all where we wanted to, but yeah, Nick Antosca, who's, you know, been working like crazy mm. <laughs> spent most of the year in, in Winnipeg, I think, you know, has been kind of shepherding it to its conclusion, and I've been working with him, and it's just been a pleasure from start to finish. I really liked it. Very
3: good. It man. looks like It looks like a lot of fun and perfect for, you know, Halloween and everything. And it has, like, um like American Horror Story feel. Like, you're saying it's going to be different next season, so it's kind of um, that business model for TV shows seems very popular. Mm. And it works.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. I think, look, I think... When Black Mirror came over here, everybody wanted oh, to do Black yeah. Mirror,
4: mm-hmm. but
0: obviously only only one company was going to get Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. And so I think you see other people going, okay, well that's fine, but we want to get into this into the anthology business because it, it it's something that could be a good part of our schedule and that the audience might want to see. Yeah. And I think that's what sci fi that's what sci fi was thinking in this case that they would call create something called Channel Zero. And every year, the tale that you would see on Channel Zero would be a different one. And as I said before, different cast, different director. And who knows? If, you know, if we get to a third season, possibly different writers as well. I mean, un- unless they kind of dive forward rather quickly, they're not going to be able to hold anybody. So that could change, also.
3: Yeah. Oh, it's really cool.
2: Yeah, my wife and I will definitely be recording it and watching it. And it's perfect for for Halloween. Yeah. I mean, so I can't wait to see it. Yeah, it's gonna. I think it'll be it's it'll be very interesting. I mean, it's,
0: as I said the aesthetic is 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 that kind of indie horror aesthetic which is which I like a lot and everybody in the room was very well versed in and um and yeah it's I'm I'm very excited about it I've been looking at cuts and helping out on that so you know we'll see how it goes but but as always fingers are crossed
1: you guys remember candle cove
4: that show gave me the worst nightmares
1: <laughs> it can make people do things it's not just a tv show Kids will see
0: it. These kids are hurting
1: someone! Just
4: like we did. Ah! Welcome to Candle Code.
2: So recently, maybe a few weeks ago, we talked with Richard Saul Warman, who uh, his company uh, helped out with the Twin Peaks Access Guide, and I guess I wanted some clarification. Like When we spoke with him, he was saying that him and his people were kind of the ones that put the book together. But I know we had spoken to you and that it was the Twin Peaks writers who worked on chapters. And I guess uh, Richard Saul Warman is kind of saying, "Well, I got ideas from the writers." But could you clarify that a little bit more about like your involvement or the other writers? No, not
0: well, we're getting we're getting into the weeds of my memory. <laughs> yeah, but my <laughs> memory, but my but my memory is certainly that Mark kind of had you know Mark kind of one day announced that we were going to do this. We all love the idea. Mm. Um, and and we were assigned as i've told you before different right. sections uh, of the access book now by the way that doesn't mean they weren't rewritten or mm. put together you know i couldn't i couldn't really speak to that sure. because it happened in the middle of, it happened in the middle of production mm. so it was really just kind of you know you spent like an afternoon putting some things together and then sent it along and to be perfectly honest i couldn't tell you if that had changed a great deal by the time it came to the publication um but i remember loving it certainly but that's but that's really pretty much all i could tell you that and i found my copy in a box while i was moving recently um <laughs> Well, it feels so like that, I, that was
2: a thrill. It definitely feels like there were some writers that were involved with it. I mean, I, I think a lot of the fans enjoy this part where the the Bookhouse Boys are doing like a passion play, and there's different things where I think <laughs> there are some great elements that feel like that you and the others had a part in. Yes, yeah, so that's. I,
0: I don't think there's any question that that's the case, and I think obviously Mark and Bob and I many people were contributing to it. You know, I'm sure that that then it was passed along, and as I said, things may have been rewritten or put into shape, but it was certainly a collaboration.
2: Hmm. makes sense yeah so when we last spoke uh, uh, Brian had not finished Twin Peaks so you were I think you were at episode 20 so you still had another nine episodes yeah
3: I'm all caught up (laughs) I saw the movie Um, we we, we read the books yes um, yep and so now we got you back on the phone, and it's very exciting. Because I think uh, one question Ben and myself wanted to ask you.
2: It's about the last episode. I mean, you, you and Mark and Bob had a big influence on writing that. And then you, David Lynch comes, and he kind of changes a lot of it.
3: If you could have that final episode again. And obviously David Lynch did his, his thing. And we've all but, said
2: we all love that episode. Yeah, but, yeah,
3: yeah. What would be the thing that you wish got made it to the air? I guess what was your favorite I mean, yeah, moment I, I, writing? Well,
0: yeah. I mean, look, things were very, very chaotic then. Um, it was, we were kind of rushing to the end. It was not my favorite part of the production process just as a writer because it was so chaotic. Mm. You know, it's. I think that at the beginning, in particular, you're discovering things, you, you're starting to put something forward that you're obviously very proud of, and it's sort of this fascinating process. At that point, we were all a little exhausted. Mm. um But I think the three of us wrote this script. And as I think I've said before, possibly even to you, is that when I heard that, you know, it's like you know, word sort of comes down that well, it's not that David throughout the script, but David was certainly taking it in his own direction in a lot of different places. Mm. um Even though certain parts, even though certain parts of the structure remained, and and my initial reaction was, oh fuck that, he can't do that, and you know, like, whatever. <laughs> I was sort of full of umbrage. But the fact of the matter is, is that when I saw it, uh, quite frankly, and that's the thing about David, um, I can't imagine it being done any other way. Mm. So I don't think there isn't really a sort of version of the finale that I wish I would see, because I think I've seen the one I wanted to see. I Mm. think that he did something quite amazing. And that's, you know, that's sort of what could be frustrating sometimes about working with David is that, you know, he's going to go his own way. And there's certain things that will happen that'll take you by complete surprise. But most of the time, what results is every bit worth it. So I think for me that that final episode is really exactly where it should be. Hmm. And, you know, there's Bob, there's Bob in the mirror. So I think that to me, to me, that was just it was perfect. I have no complaints now, even the ones I think I had at the time. Sort of melted away when I watched the, the finale when it, when I saw the first cut of it.
2: And you mentioned Bob in the Mirror, and uh, you, you mentioned this to uh, Brad Dukes in uh, Reflections. But uh, the way, I think how it was, was you, you had talked to Mark, and he says, Hey, look, you knew how it should end, and you said, um, Cooper gets out of the lodge, and maybe you can finish that. You were basically talking to Mark Frost about Cooper getting out of the
0: lodge. Yeah, Mark and I, Mark and I were always, you know, we talked a great deal. We had lunch together every day. It became sort of a tradition. So we're always talking about the show. But I think in this case, and again, I wish I could remember it more perfectly. But I, my feeling is that I was on my way to work and and just thinking, Jesus, I know what the end should be. It's it. And I got there to find out that, of course, Mark already knew what the end should be, <laughs> and that we both set, and we and we both individually had had the same idea. And for all I know, David did too. Who knows? Yeah. But I mean, it just seemed. It's one of those ideas that it's you know it was it it just fit, and and given everything we've done and the way that Bob had been set up, it was sort of the perfect way to go out, Um, and you know and you've seen echoes of it down the years in different television shows and but I I think that ending worked really well but it was certainly not one that I can take you know credit for certainly not full credit um, because that's something that you know I think Mark and David have been talking about for a very long time.
2: Yeah, so in that discussion, right? You just uh, you said, "Oh, Cooper gets out of the lodge, and Mark Frost basically says and and sees the mirror, and it's Bob." So yeah. that's really something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and you guys kind of, yeah. I feel like you guys hinted at this throughout season two that that Cooper could get possessed. Like it's, it definitely seemed like these spirits wanted Cooper, and it, there was definitely hints that something. You, it, Brian, yeah, yeah, Brian, who was seeing it for the first time, you were thinking that this is what the, when, the
3: yeah. When Cooper loses his, uh, he. he gets demoted and everything and they go on the, the yep. fishing trip. Oh yeah the fishing trip. trip yeah. I thought yeah, yeah. the white light, I thought at that moment that was when Cooper was gonna get it. And his life was gonna go no, down. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: No, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, listen, I think that I mean there's obviously it's always open to to interpretation, but I think that during that season that was part of his journey, certainly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and and that and that being the end point of the journey, yeah, I think there are moments along the way when you had a sense of that. And what that and how that might play out.
2: And quite frankly, I just want to know what happened next. And
0: yeah. in theory, we're all going to we're going to in a couple of weeks.
2: Yeah, not too long. For, yeah, right yeah. in the book, right, Mark Frost's book.
0: Yep. Yeah, I again, and I, I mean, and I, you know, it's funny because Mark and I still talk all the time, although we usually end up talking about politics. Mm. But it's because <laughs> uh, we're both sort of political junkies. But but it's and so there are m- many moments when I kind of felt like, oh, I should ask him to slip me the book, and they went, no, you know what? I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait till the book comes out. And then I can discover it with everybody else. That was the next question. Yeah, I'll be reading it the first day it comes out. But I know I, I got to tell you, I knew absolutely nothing about it. Yeah, I mean, I know that Mark and I talked a little bit during production, but that's really that's really all I know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna bring that up. So, so back in 1994, Mark Frost talked to Rapt in Plastic, and he mentioned being approached about doing a novel. And in this novel, it was gonna be about the history and ge- geography of the form forming the peaks, and about this whole force right. that affected the people. So, did, did you were you aware of that? There was this he he had some kind of idea of a, of a book. Book 25 years ago. Or
0: so. wow. No, I must say I did not. I did not know that. I okay. remember talking to him when, when he talked to me about that's so what he was focusing on this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't. I don't remember that from uh, that that long ago. It wouldn't surprise me. I mean, it was Twin Peaks was like a sort of self-generating thing where everything was sort of growing out of it, which was be you know ideas about books and idea you know access guides and mm-hmm. diaries and it was it was certainly fruitful when it came to kind of spinning things out of. It. That kind of you know the kind of gyre of creativity.
2: And when we last spoke, you said even, there was there was even thoughts of doing a comic book. Oh no!
0: Well, I that was my obsession. Mm. But it's but no, I'm not sure if they ever thought about it at all. Although who knows if that's something that something might happen. But I always felt you know because there was obviously a rather long period of time mm. after Twin Peaks was over where it where there was never any talk of a third season if someone had asked me five years ago i'd say no it's never gonna happen and i knew and i actually and not only knew about but read what joss wheaton did with both angel and buffy Mm. and i remember having lunch with mark once with mark saying look that's the way to go you know you could do a comic book that would be season three and season four and as many seasons as you want yeah um but but I think everyone was sort of otherwise engaged, and I don't, I'm not sure David was. I don't know if you even spoke to David about it. But but I think just the notion was that that was not something that was going to happen. And then of course we all got the great news. What about a year ago that it was uh, there was going to be a season three after all.
2: And and you make, mentioned David Lynch. I you don't have to answer this, but uh, you know it's been in the last 25 years. Have you talked with David at all, or are you friendly? No, with
0: no, no, <laughs> no, no. Mark and I. Mark and I were great friends and we continue to be friends. Uh, David and I were never friends, let's Aww. put it that way. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like it was, there was any animosity there. And I guarantee you, I'd be, I'd be surprised if David even knew who I was at this point. Aww. But, I mean, I think that at the time, there was this weird period where David went off to direct Storyville. And that was during the second season. And so that, I was left, you know, I was the number two guy. And so suddenly I was in charge. Or in charge as much as you know, I needed to be. And while I was in in constant communication with Mark, who was shooting down in New Orleans, I think they had like a 21 day schedule, so he was gone for a while. Mm. And but the fact of the matter is, is that I was left to you know make certain decisions, and David was not pleased by a couple of them. Right. So that didn't really didn't really work out for me all that well. But um, so yo, no, there was I didn't I have not spoken to David
3: right. or
0: seen him since. I certainly, I certainly bear him no ill will. Right. I and mean, listen, who can blame him? You know, suddenly there I am sort of saying, no, you can't give notes the night before we're shooting something right. because whatever. <laughs> and um, he, he did not react well to that thought.
2: Yes. So I mean that's a hard place to be put in though. I mean like you had, I mean you've talked about this before that you had this narrative that you have to keep going forward. And sometimes yeah. Lynch yeah. had these great ideas, but he didn't understand that there was this. You needed to figure out what well, for the next episode what was going to happen. <laughs> if you change things, it's not going to work. Yeah, I mean Dave. Yeah. You no, know,
0: yeah, David doesn't think doesn't really think in a linear fashion. And also because although then he'd obviously be doing the show for a while, he was used to making movies. You know, and if David Lynch wanted to change something at eleven thirty at night on Tuesday, it was going to be changed, and then he would shoot it on Wednesday. But in this case, you're dealing with a TV schedule, you're dealing with TV you know different directors who are working. And so it just got a, it got a little complicated. Listen, it wasn't it wasn't like it was a nightmare or something, but the one thing that I remember very clearly, is getting that call at like 1130 at night from a panicked director and saying, no, 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 no. just shoot your day tomorrow. Forget mm. it. I'll handle this. And then I ended up getting handled pretty well. Right. Um, so, but, you know, that's part. Listen, as if that happens on every television show one way or another. So there's nothing really that unusual about it. But but the answer I mean, again, the shorter answer is no, I, I haven't seen David since. And the fact of the matter is, I don't think David and Mark even spoke for um, several years and not mm. for any particular reason. Just you yeah. know, life takes you in life takes you in different directions.
2: I wanna mention the last episode again. I mean there was so many ideas that you had that you, you were working towards for the to, up to the last episode. And I thought one of them was that whole Wyndham Earl, Caroline and Cooper storyline that you guys really were you kind of going to this big climax between Cooper and Wyndham Earl, and in some ways that was really thrown out through Lynch. But I think it's an interesting backstory that in the script you have all these flashbacks where Wyndham Earl is sitting there with the police and he's confessing that he did kill Caroline. Right. And, and it's unfortunate. Right. I mean, it's unfortunate that, that that you worked towards that and that didn't happen. I mean, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I
0: th- yes. I mean, I think, yeah, I look, I think that we wanted, I, as I remember in season one, the last episode one of the things i loved about it and i think mark actually mark directed it and i think wrote it as well is that it had all these great cliffhangers and uh, and also mm. great resolution as well and and for me that's what you want for a season finale you want cliffhangers that'll take you into the next year mm. and you want resolution of things resolution of things that you've been following and and i think our intention when we were first putting together the second season finale was you know we wanted to achieve that again in particular, to convince ABC to come back for a third season, mm. um, but 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 bear in mind, David wasn't there for the first season for that finale. That was something mm. that Mark directed, so that was really I think in a lot of ways Mark's vision for it, if you will. But at the end of the second season, David was very much there, mm. and so you get a different you get a different outcome, and and he just. You know, he wasn't particularly interested in some of those more linear storytelling points. Mm. He had this other vision. And listen, as I said before, I get what you're saying, and I kind of miss that stuff too. And it might have been things that we would have returned to in a third season in some way. But it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, you know, David's vision kind of carried carried the day in that final episode. And and even though I would have liked to see some of that stuff, I understand, you know, it's just something you accept. I mean, you're either on board or you're not. And, um, and I was on board.
2: And I was curious, like, what are you most proud of working on Twin Peaks as both the writer and the producer of the show? Oh, I mean, it's really just the writing. I mean,
0: I, I think that, I mean, like most TV writers, I mean, we're called producers, but we're not called upon to do that much producing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact of is, yes, you're doing casting, but the casting was something that really... I mean, for every one of the most important roles, that was something that Mark and David obviously did. I, while I was on set a little bit, because we were shooting right there where our offices were, there wasn't that much for me to do there either as a producer. Hmm. So while there was some, we did some casting along the way. It's like casting Heather Graham. I, mean, I was involved in some of those decisions, and that was obviously fun. But, but for me, it's really just the writing. Hmm. I mean, it was getting it was getting that call from Mark, and this was another 1130 at night call, but a much better one where, you know, when he'd read my first script for the show and said how much you loved it and asked me to write another one. And I that that's was awesome. a very good day.
2: Yeah. That's and awesome.
0: so just being just, you know, and knowing that I that was probably one of my happiest moments on the show was getting that phone call and realizing, oh, man, I'm I'm in this thing now. And then, of course, being a producer in the second season and, you know, going to work every day out there, it it was just tremendous. So for me, but for me, it was always the writing. I mean, it was a show that was so much fun to write and the actors were so great. And and look, I've done a lot of work since. And Mm. there are times when the things that you write just never make it to the screen intact.
4: Mm. And
0: sometimes that's because of the way it's directed. Sometimes and probably most frequently it's because of budget limitations sometimes it's it's because that you didn't write it for the actor appropriately mm. and and I've and I've, and I've sometimes faltered doing that but for whatever reason on Twin Peaks, getting the voices right for the particular actors, it would just was effortless. And usually I see my stuff on screen and I wince every once in a while, but I rarely wince when I'm watching Twin Peaks.
2: Mm. And you've written so much good dialogue. I mean, I yeah. go for so many different quotes. One of them was in episode 20. I love that exchange between Renault and Cooper. And he says, maybe you brought the nightmare with you. And that whole thing where if, if you mm-hmm. die, maybe it will die with you. Mm-hmm. But that was a cool, a great scene right. that you wrote. And I, yeah. I just love that. And.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, listen. I love writing dialogue, and that was, and I think that's what Mark sparked to immediately, because I, I, I got the Cooper voice pretty quickly, and so there's always, you know, you'll have fun writing that, and of course, Albert, for God's sakes, mm. was my favorite.
3: Of course. So, and
0: I think that, you know, you, you find your, your place in there.
3: And one of my favorite episodes, directed uh, by Diane Keaton, well, um, I guess my question is, how did you guys, who asked Diane Keaton to direct an episode, and how was that? You know how did everybody well, like I mean, having I, her on set?
0: I mean, I'm going to assume that it it as a lot of these things, particularly when you're looking for directors. I mean, it's it's going to start with agents saying, "Hey, you know, Diane Keaton direct would like to direct." I mean, mm. usually if someone's going to be talking. It'll usually that would have gone through Mark and then through David. Um, but with all the directors we had, and we had so many good ones. I mean, who were really, really wonderful. And and you know Diane Keaton obviously is yes, Diane Keaton, so that was sort of a big deal in and of
4: itself yeah. for
0: obvious reasons. And we were all and you know there was an unusual number of people on the set those days. And but you saw immediately that, I mean there were certain directors who came in and did an extraordinary job executing the way the scripts had been written, and they would bring certain things to them. But really Diane, almost more than any other, or not more than any other, but what was significant I think about her work was just how much visual interest she brought to it. Yeah, I mean, weren't there yes. there were like all those guys sitting at the bar in their identical uniforms? I mean, she did all this really interesting visual stuff that mm. that clearly she saw this as an opportunity to do something like that. And of course she was a pleasure to work with and everyone loves her, you know, loved her and yeah, you know, so yeah, that worked out very well. But I'm assuming it was just you know, that's one of those agency things where, because look at everybody wanted to get people on that show. The second season, yeah. everybody wanted to direct Everyone to direct episodes. We had a lot of episodes that needed directing. So, yeah. you know, and she was a real, a real happy addition to the show.
3: Yeah. Her, her work to me, when I first saw that episode, I noticed right away the difference, the way it looked. It felt like yeah. I was just like, this is like David Lynch a little bit because I, I looked into her history yeah. and I didn't know she was an artist. So it very felt framed like a painting and visually stunning, and I liked it a lot. I love
2: how the chessboard would be in the foreground or the the different way she set it up. It it was – I know some people don't like that episode, but I enjoyed the aesthetics and the – Yeah,
3: a lot of – you know, there is – well, yeah, some people online or whatever seem to say, like, it was like she was forcing it to be like David Lynch. But I I look at it as she was almost complimenting David Lynch. Like, she's –
0: No, exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. No, I think that she, I thought she did a wonderful job. I mean, yeah. I, I really love that episode. And for all the reasons that you're saying, I mean, I think that she took the opportunity to kind of bring a little you know, stick to it. And I think, and, and focus more on that than some of our directors. And, listen, I, and I think she did a great job as a result. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the actors were thrilled to work with her and all that stuff. So you know, that was a very good experience for
2: everybody. I was going to ask you as a writer, how, how do you deal with situations? We actually, last time we spoke to you, we talked about how you guys had plans with Audrey and Cooper and that didn't work out. How do you deal with other situations where I think you're writing something and something like Joan Chen Chen uh, decides she wanted out of her contract and then you have to write something <laughs> to make get rid of the character?
0: Yeah, she ends up in a doorknob or right. a, a dresser knob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, look. I mean, that's. I mean, again, it's it's funny because it's a lot of that stuff. You know, that's one thing about Twin Peaks is that it was such an odd sort of show for a whole bunch of reasons. And and listen, it was the first thing I'd done, so I'm not really sure how you know television was made back then. But there was no room per se, so it didn't work that way. That's not how stories were told. And even in a weird contractual way. I'm not sure why, but, you know, people, actors had the ability, and really for David, I think it was like if Joan doesn't want to do it, then Joan doesn't have to do it. That wouldn't really be the way things would be done usually. You know what I'm saying? It's like yeah. on most TV shows, on most TV shows, okay, you want to leave the show, you're going to be here for the rest of the season, and then you can leave. Them.
4: Mm. And
0: we all know examples of actors being killed off because they were unhappy or they want to leave or because, you know, people were unhappy with them or whatever. You know, that certainly happens. But I think in this case, there was a sort of, it was just, there was a freer attitude, I think, amongst everyone that allowed for that. And so as a writer, you just had to sort of field it and do your best job. In other words, if you knew that certain characters were going to be gone or wouldn't be available or be doing something else, you know, you just had to write around that and and sometimes just hope for the best.
4: Yeah. Sure.
2: What did you think of Firewalk With Me, the movie there? Um, uh, it, again, you have to understand that it
0: the way things sort of fell out it was sort of a weird time. And, and, you know, David made this without Mark. Mm. And, and so for me, it was like that, that was the sort of essential piece that was missing. And, mm. um, and, and while I certainly, I, I'm, I'm guessing that I probably like it now more than I did then. Yeah. Um, I went, I went to the theater in a matinee by myself and just sat there with my arms crossed frowning for two Aww.
4: hours. Aww. So,
0: because I, I really just felt like, not personally betrayed, but i just felt like there was all this interesting stuff but without mark there it that's all it was for mm-hmm. me it was a lot of interesting stuff and mm-hmm. some of it fascinating and some of it more interesting than other stuff i mean you know it's david after all yeah. but it's it's not Mulholland and drive i'll tell you that mm-hmm. and i just i just feel like it it was as a movie it 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 it, it was i i love, look, I'm not going to psychoanalyze it felt like it was his attempt to kind of make twin peaks his own
4: yeah. and and
0: i think the movie and i think the movie suggested that Twin Peaks was better when it was shared between uh, Mark and
2: David. Yeah, yeah I can agree with that. Yeah. I know 17-year-old me saw you know, saw Fire Welcoming, and before I saw it, I was reading newspaper articles, and they said Mark Frost wasn't involved. And I remember being so concerned. Yeah. It's like, oh, this is not good. I mean, they, they work better as a team. Thank you so much, Harley. I'm so, right. I'm so pumped for your new show. I can't wait to check it out. Yes. Oh, sure, guys. We'll Thank be, you. We'll be Thank talking you. About you on the I show. I hope you like it. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome, guys. Okay, we'll talk soon. Thanks again, Hartley Payton, for being on the show. I can't wait to see Channel Zero. I'm really excited about
3: that. Um, so, Ben, people can get a hold of us. How?
2: They can get a hold of us through uh, our Gmail at uh, twinpeaksunwrapped at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter.
3: Yes, the Twitter sphere.
2: Most of the time, I'm running Twitter, and most of the time, they, they can uh, uh, talk to you through Facebook.
3: Yes, I'm on uh, Twin Peaks Unwrapped on Facebook. Uh, we're getting those likes in. Uh, people are commenting. We're having a ball on there. Also, iTunes. iTunes is it? We're exploding a little bit in iTunes. Yes. Get those five star reviews. Leave us comments. It five means st- a lot. It means it so much to
2: us that if you, if it, it, it takes five minutes of your time. It, 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 write us something. Give us those five stars. Maybe give us a little feedback. We appreciate it.
3: And it, it just allows us for me, more people to find us. Mm. You know, uh, a podcast that has more uh, reviews and stuff. It just allows for some reason we'll get more exposure. So thank you everyone who shares us on Facebook and who likes us on Twitter and goes on iTunes and, and everything. So we're out of here, Ben. And I guess we're going to, we're going to leave. We leave today's show. We're going to, we're going to go out on today's show with a clip from David Lynch's, the art of life.
2: Yeah, here it is. Cobwebs
0: and stuff all around that ceiling level and dirty basement windows.
1: But I'd set up these little tables, little like platforms out of wood and stuff. And I had all these experiments going. Like I wanted to see what fruit would do after a long period, different stages of fruit, how it would decay. And I had some dead birds and I had my mouse in plastic. And I had, you know, a bunch of stuff I'd collected. So I wanted to share this with my father. So I took him down to the basement